Welcome to the Disruptors podcast brought to you by Gemco Intelligent Buildings Group. In this series, we bring you interview discussions with industry expert thought leaders to share with you their views, opinions and predictions. We hope by listening to this series, you'll pick out the underlying message and start to think outside the box. Gemco agree that the most dangerous phrase in the English language is, we have always done it that way. So we want to disrupt the industry and we believe that the way to developing true intelligent buildings is by building intelligence. My name is Daryl Gregory. I've been in Honeywell since 2006 and currently are our UK South Partner Channel Sales Leader which covers the trends and central line brands. So do you want to um, sort of tell me a bit more in terms of how um, your role has changed with the, the, the other brands that you're now responsible for, for looking at? The role itself hasn't changed but it's become more interesting because for me personally historically I was just part of the trend business whereas now I'm also part of a central line business and so it's given me a different perspective so I was very much kind of orange trend thinking, whereas I've learned a lot in the past two years of different ways of working. Um, so within my own mind, I do a lot of, if you like, best practice sharing just from what I see in the two businesses. So um, it's been a yeah, it's been a good learning experience, I think. I've, and I certainly, I'd like to think I'm better at what I do, having my my kind of horizons broadened. So um, probably not what I expected at the start of it. Um, because you know, very experienced in one business and maybe didn't even understand that other brands do it in different ways. How do you see um, the brands compare in terms of technical capability, given that there's a, a growing need towards integration of products and the Trillium platform specifically is seen as a fantastic integration system? How do you, how do you sort of see the two brands sort of going hand in hand? So I think we, we position them differently. So... Trend is clearly the larger brand, UK market leader by quite some way. Its core values have always been around it's a safe investment for end users. So within Trend, we try and offer the latest technology, but also the best support in the industry. And our core kind of philosophy has always been backward compatibility. So our challenge for the R&D community that work within Trend is we want tomorrow's technology but we want it to work seamlessly with something that somebody installed 30 years ago from us, which is an incredible challenge if you think how technology's changed since 1983 when we launched the first IQ controller. And now our factory just up the road here, an IQ4 controller works seamlessly peer-to-peer. So what we try and do in Trend is offer good, strong heritage, safe investment. You won't get that conversation from us where we say, in five years' time, we've moved our product portfolio on, so you need to rip everything out and start again to benefit from that technology. You can have the old and the new. And then Centraline is a much younger brand in the UK. So Centraline has based its portfolio on the Trillium Niagara framework. And I think the Niagara framework is seen as the, I guess, the, the leading integration platform. Um, I look at it and the answer is always yes. With Niagara, there's nothing it can't do because... I compare it to kind of like an app store community where any one of us could sit and write a driver. It doesn't have to be developed by the manufacturer. Um, I think there's huge benefits to having it developed by the manufacturer. Again, coming back to support and longevity and kind of the the long-term investment of the building. Um, The central line is it's it's been more of a, a growing brand. 
Um, but we're now winning some some really big projects. So 22 Bishop's Gate, one of the biggest towers in the city. Central Line's going 100 Bishop's Gate, um, and yes, yeah, there's a whole a whole host of good buildings. So we position them slightly differently. It's quite interesting for me because I have a trend sales team and a Central Line sales team, and they compete against each other every day. Mm. And it's um, I think that's been quite motivating for each sales team because it's not like nice to lose a project to somebody who you know very well. It's not good for your ego. So I think that's been one of the unintended consequences of me looking after both brands. Um, it's, it's made my sales team more hungry. Um, and it brings some challenges in how we run it because there's obviously um, customer confidentiality. So things that I may have used to have done in sales meetings, I don't do anymore, I do them independently. And then when we bring the two teams together, we might spend time thinking about um, sales techniques rather than individual projects we're working on. Yeah, that's going to be quite that's got to be quite tricky. Um, you talked about trend being a, a safe investment, uh, and I completely agree um, with that statement. What other things do you do that sort of plays into that safe investment if you go with trend as, a, as your preferred BMS? So I think it depends on where you are in the supply chain. So if we start kind of with contractors, what we offer within trend is um, we've got by far the largest partner network in the UK. So when we say partners, some people would call them customers, but we just don't see it like that. We see them as partners of our business. And their role in life is to take our core product and then deliver it into the marketplace as part of a wider solution for the building envelope. And because we've got such a large and diverse network of partners as a contractor, you can look at the marketplace and decide who you want to install your product. So sometimes that will be based, of course, on economic realities but quite often it's based on the culture of the business or the niche markets they've maybe worked in. So you can choose a trend solution and then get a true apples for apples tender process using the partners that fit best for, for your portfolio. You've got a, a pretty significant uh, install network through the trend, trend channel, um, 160 plus partners. Um, how do you, as the the brand as the as the manufacturer of the product. How do you ensure that when that product gets to market, that it, it continues to represent the quality of the brand that you try to uphold? So I think firstly, it's one of my pet hates when a system is deemed as being poor because it's not working properly in a building. Generally, um, and I'm very, always very open about this, I think every manufacturer system has the ability to control the building. Um, and you are right, it's entirely down to how well it's installed by the partner and quite often there's there's a whole host of external factors that can influence how well it's installed. Did they have the right um, amount of commissioning time in the program or did it get shrunk to an extent where they couldn't actually do what they wanted to do? Um, has the building actually been designed in a way that it can be mm. controlled? You know, there, there's all sorts of issues that stop that. But for our part, I guess the focus on us is we try and spend a lot of time helping with um, specifications, applications with consultants. So we try and get in very early in a project and work with a consultant to understand what they're trying to achieve or what the end user's trying to achieve in that building and then build a spec that will actually enable it to be delivered um, because BMS is, it is a tricky industry. It's getting more complicated all the time. And so we think helping people to understand what they can do makes it easier. So generally, the better the spec, I think the better the project goes. But then secondly, with our partners, one of the things we've always done really well in trend is we've spent a lot of money investing in training. 
So whether that's classroom training, e-learning, CPD seminars, because I think in our industry, because it is changing constantly, you have to stay on top of the latest developments. Mm -hmm. And our view is the best way to get our partners to represent our, our brand the way we hope they do, and in all honesty, the way they do excellently every day, is to make sure they're the best trained in the industry. So we have training schools in different locations across the UK. We run a whole variety of training courses from very, very basic entry level, your first step into the world of BEMS, right through to a course that a very seasoned professional engineer would still learn from. So I think collaborating with specifiers and end users to understand their needs and translate that into a document that one of our partners can pick up and work with and then at the other end of the scale is do everything we can to help our partners train their employees to do the best job they can every day. And then when they do run into problems, make sure we're here to support them because yeah, it is very complicated what we do at times. And um, yeah, we've built a very strong technical support team that understand our product and understand the applications that they're installed to. And when there's a problem, we stand side by side of our partners and just work through it. Yeah, I think, um You've touched on some important points there, particularly around, um, you know, you talked about getting in early to influence design to make sure systems are specified correctly. Um, from our perspective as, a, as an installer and integrator of these technologies, we still see that the majority of the projects we're involved with suffer many of the same issues that we've been, you know, seeing for, for many, many years. Um, and I think there are lots of people, you know, uh, companies like yourself and, and, and integrated businesses like ours that are really trying to sort of understand where those issues come from and try to put in place processes to manage that. But I think, you know, there's, there's so many um, layers and steps involved in the contractual chain that it's very hard to make sure that the good work we put in at the beginning sees it, sees out, you know, comes out right at the end of the project. Who do you think has the responsibility if you take a standard construction project, who, who is o overall has responsibility to make sure that the project is delivered correctly as per the design? Because I think, you know, there's so many different ways that contracts can be let, designer build contracts, um, contracts with specification, um, you know, we go out to main contractors who have their subcontract preferred specialists that may not be the preferred option for the client, but the contractors still have, you know, a lot of the control and say in, in how the, the project is delivered. So who do you think ultimately should have responsibility for for managing that through, and I guess, sorry, just the, 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 perhaps the obvious answer would, would be to say the end client because it's their money. But from the end client's perspective, you know, they don't understand enough uh, about the complexities of the systems we work with, but also the construction processes and, and you know those contractual layers. So, you know, where do you think that responsibility sits? So I think there's two there's two types of projects. So for me, you get a project where there's a known end user and somebody's moving into that building. And then there's the project where it's a speculative build. So in the example of the end user, um, I think really we all have to take responsibility. Of course, it is ultimately the end user's responsibility. They're buying their building. But if we look at all the trades and technologies that go into a building today, of course, they're not going to be experts in all of them. So ideally, if I look at our approach, we'd like to work directly with that end user and just have that simple conversation. When this project's finished, what do you want out of your building and then work back from there and make sure the right things are left in the project and anything they don't need is taken out. In reality, the end user isn't going to want 50 trades coming and having that conversation. So they'll have their trusted advisors 
generally the contractors if it's D&B or consultants and it's for us as an industry to educate those people on what should be in, what shouldn't be in. I think the challenge or one of the biggest challenges I've seen over the last, certainly since 2008, is value engineering has kind of lost its way a little bit. So for me, value engineering is going to an end user, looking at what's been proposed and saying you're not going to benefit from this so why have it take it out but actually you should put this in because you need in it's not in there at the moment unfortunately i think it's become a bit of a term whilst we've been in kind of tricky economic times just to reduce the cost of the building now i i've seen many examples i'm sure you guys have as well where the wrong things have been taken out and you end up walking away from a building and not really being proud of what's been delivered feeling it's a bit of a missed opportunity and knowing the end user isn't going to get what they want through the life cycle of their building. So I do think it's on all of us to educate in that process um, and understand who should be talking to the end user, whether it's us directly or through their advisors. I think it gets more tricky in a speculative build because there isn't an end user. So we need to try and deliver a building to um, a good standard, an acceptable standard, but it's much more difficult when you don't know how that building's going to be used. So. <clears throat> Typically, if I look at where I spend a lot of time in the London commercial um, office market, a building will be built open plan and then at some point it will be let and partitioning will be put up and this can cause all sorts of issues because how the building's used wasn't known when we were doing the BEMS install. So in that, in that um, instance, I think it, it's much more difficult. But again, we've got to engage once there's an end user known. So I'd like to see an end of projects where the installation's done and it's the fit and forget mentality. I really like the kind of soft landings approach where you stick with the building through the once people move in so you can really finely tune it, understand the pain points that maybe weren't envisaged on how the building's being used and then just work with the end user to deliver exactly what they want. And I think, you know, the argument is will that cost more money? And I think there's, I don't think it has to, but even if it does, I think there's there's a lot of studies now around well-being and productivity in building and we're starting to understand that just saving energy or saving day one install costs is not good for the long-term profitability for an organisation and certainly not good for long-term staff well-being and retention. Okay, so sort of continuing on that theme because I really like that. Um, and you talked about um, certain changes that you've seen in the industry over the last few years. What, um, what do you think are the kind of core drivers that are influencing the the biggest changes that are happening in our industry currently? So I think we just spoke about productivity and well-being, and I think that's certainly certainly one of them. In my, you know, I've been in the industry since 2000, so still young compared to many, many people um, who have been doing it a lot longer. But even in my relatively short time, I've seen a drive from it being all around comfort to being all around saving energy to now it all being around that productivity and well-being and using technology to enhance the business. And this is a really, I think where we are at the minute is really exciting. Um, there's some huge challenges around it because I'm asked weekly, can I have a smart building? And my response is always, well, what is smart to you? So we need to, we don't, we, we haven't really educated the market on what can be achieved yet. We're still kind of finding our way. Um, but I think this is the most exciting time because now we need to create comfortable, energy efficient, but actually useful, productive, 
great for people's well-being buildings and there's some brilliant examples going up around the world at the moment and I think this is going to be for people entering our industry this will be the golden generation but the downside is buildings are going to get a lot more complicated so some of the old contractual chain way of working I don't think will work in the new world I think it has to be a more collaborative approach and you guys get this um, but we can't work in isolation I think at day one more people are going to need to be around the table to design that building to bring all of this technology together because the reality is it's going to be delivered by lots of different contractors as part of that construction and if anybody tries to do it in isolation everybody's so interdependent on each other we're going to have to work together closer than we ever have and I think that will be better because I think that will take away some of the um, combative contractual relationships you sometimes see I think now it ha will have to be more of a team effort and I think that will be good for everybody and ultimately the end user will end up with a building that yeah, delivers what they need for their organisation. Around that point, um, I mean I absolutely agree, getting, you've got to get everybody around the table early doors and you've got to understand the, the motives and the, the requirements of the people that are buying, and the people that are supplying and everyone else in between and if you can get that bit right and understand what does everybody need out of this project to win then that's you know, got to be the best scenario for everybody. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges with that is that quite often, particularly when we talk around the, the well-being and productivity message, quite often the beneficiary of the solutions are not the budget holders. And so when you think about the individuals in an organisation that are looking at, are my staff happy, healthy, productive? Um, you know, they're not typically the people that are looking at, you know, is my air conditioning system the right one? And do I want a trend BMS or a central line BMS? So you've got engineering people and then you've got, you know, people people, commercial people that are looking at business in a different perspective. And quite often they won't talk to each other and they won't understand what those challenges are. And I think that's, you know, one of the biggest issues. We need to try to get those people together and get them to understand actually by spending money here, these people are also going to benefit. So maybe the budget sits here. We don't, I don't know. You know, there's lots of challenges we've got to, we've got to deal that, with there. That is happening slowly, I think. You typically see it with the, the big blue chip style companies, but I think they, they, they've realised that if they're saving a little bit of money on construction day one costs, or even a little bit of money on the operating costs, but it's making their staff less happy, less productive, um, that's not good for business. And normally these businesses, they, they want to succeed in whatever their goal is, whether it's profit driven or um, goal driven, but the reality is they, they need their people to be the best they can be and I think certainly in the modern world it's becoming a more competitive marketplace if we look at if you like the, the tech industry there's there's a relatively small pool of staff that businesses want to attract because they're the best at what they do and one of the ways if you look at those companies how they're attracting those people is by creating great environments for them to work in so it's not by paying them more money than their than their competitor it's by saying, look at the environment we allow you to work in. We create an environment where you can do your best work because that's what you really care about. Yeah. The money's kind yeah, of, a, yeah. you know, we've all got bills to pay. Of course, they want to be paid, but they're driven by doing a great job. And some of these people are driven by genuinely changing the world. And they want to do that in an organization that puts their well-being and productivity at the top of their agenda rather than turning down the heat into a level where it's, it's uncomfortable just to save a few pennies. Some of the, uh, we've, we've talked about the issues of, um, well not the issue, but we've talked about the principle of people collaborating, coming together earlier on in, 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 the, in the process. Um, if we talk about um, M&E consultant practices, one of the issues we 
typically see, and I think we all agree, is that there's this still this um, fundamental split between mechanical and electrical services that ultimately have a, um, a very intimate relationship when it comes down to the delivery of the building. How do you, you know, what do you see as a sort of solution to try and address that that kind of issue when you've got a lot of these big M&E consultants that, you know, designing and delivering, creating specifications some of the biggest uh, projects in the world, but they still don't seem to be able to get their head around this this point. So I guess we've started to see a change in that. So some of the larger consultancies now are building smart, intelligent buildings divisions. So I think there's a realization that. Again, it can't be done in isolation. You can't have a smart mechanical package and a smart electrical package. They absolutely depend on each other. So the example I always use is, if we can't get the BMS and the lights working together, so in a meeting room, it should go in, there should be people sensing technology, it should know um, there's people in there, or even better, how many people are in there, change the air volume, bring it out of a setback state into an occupied state, look at the outside light, outside kind of light ambience, look at the insides, make all that work seamlessly. If we can't just get that tiny bit of mechanical and electrical to work together, then we shouldn't be chasing the rest of the smart building dream, because that, that's absolute basics. And we are seeing more, I guess, more people doing this better. Um, again, I think as manufacturers, we have to take the responsibility. So we're quite fortunate in this building here, we share space with Exor, a sister lighting business. Um, and that helps because in the same consultancies, they had a lot of relationships with the electrical guys, we had a lot of relationships with the mechanical guys, and we've actually gone in and brought those people together. So again, you know, there's two ways you can sit back and wait for it to happen, or you can look at the problem and try and 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 yeah and try and fix it yourselves. Um, and it will it will happen. It has to happen. I think the the more forward-thinking end users are driving it as well. They're telling their the professionals they're hiring to help them develop buildings. This is what we want, so you need to find a way to bridge yeah, that yeah, gap. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it'll take time before it becomes the norm, and we've got to be we've got to be realistic about that. But then the more people see the benefits of it, it will hopefully start to snowball, and we'll start to really re really see it accelerate. I think um, people need to be realistic about budget as well. Um, you know, I think in many instances, people have these, these, these wonderful ideas and these grand visions. When it comes down to it, you know, someone comes up with a design and they're looking at a figure and they say, too much value, engineer it. And then you, you, you sort of end up in that, that sort of, um, that, you know, slippery slope again because, you know, people don't want to pay the money. Um, but at the same time, they want to end up with something that they can sit back and say, we do have a smart building, you know, whatever it may be. But the expectation around the money side is, 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 not, um, is not necessarily there. Um, so we're sort of seeing this um, development of IoT. Everyone's talking about it. So we've got all these uh, um, you know, different products, different components that make up this IoT solution. And for many people, that has a, a different interpretation. Um, and we talked loosely around integration as well. And you were talking about Centraline having a, being based on the Trillium Niagara platform, which is, as you said, you know, there's not really anything that system can't do. Um, you also talked around um, when you were talking about trends, trend being the safe bet, uh, the safe choice in terms of in terms of your investment. Um, so if we think about that that integration piece um, and that that kind of concept of having a, a safe system, a safe solution, how do you see um, 
the how do you what, what do you see the biggest challenges now in terms of security when you're adding so many different components into a potential building from so many different people? How do we make sure that those systems are safe and secure? People can't hack the building um, and get access to potentially very sensitive information. So I think for any BMS manufacturer, if this isn't their number one priority at the moment, I'll be very surprised. I certainly know within Honeywell. One of the changes I've seen is the R&D process has become much more complicated because we scrutinize each development from a cybersecurity point of view. Um, I think there was, there was a phrase a customer said to me many years ago about the BMS industry was it sometimes feels like it's security by obscurity because there was a feeling that nobody would ever want to try and gain access to these systems. And of course, that's nonsense in the in the modern world. There isn't a week that goes by where you don't read on the BBC News about some kind of cyber attack one way or the other. So I think everybody's um, become more aware of cybersecurity. And it doesn't really have to be that difficult. Um, when you look at most of the cybersecurity issues, most of them are human error. So most of them are either IT systems not protected properly with VPN tunnels and the like, or old versions of software and not having a regime for patching with updates. So I think the first thing we all have to do is understand the importance and accept the importance of it. So does it make the systems more complicated to install? Absolutely. But it's the same reason you'd have a lock on the front door of your house. You want it to be difficult to gain access to. I think then as a manufacturer, our responsibility is we accept that cybersecurity can be difficult. So we've got to look at our product portfolio and see what we can do to make it easier. So we, we want to make it almost harder for our partners to put something in that's insecure than it is. So secure out of the box is really, is really what we need. Um, and I think certainly in the last few years, we get asked more questions about cybersecurity than ever before. So I think the, the whole contractual chain from the end user, the contractors, the consultants, our partners, everybody's aware they need to, need to do this. And then as a business, you have to take a proactive response and we use some specialist tools to go and actively search for systems that might not be secure and then fix it. Um, but of course you want prevention rather than cure, as one of my colleagues here says. Um, but this is this is the big problem. So the IoT piece, I think it's a given that more systems are going to be connected to the cloud. I think in the BEMS world, IoT is nothing new. I think we've been connecting systems to external servers for you know, decades. But I think this is going to happen much, much more. And the yeah, we've got to make sure we're not using standard passwords. We've got to make sure the same kind of principles we use in our IT equipment. So here, every three months, every two months, whatever it is, I'm asked to change my PC password. We need to be doing that across our across our BEMS. We need complex passphrases rather than four-digit pins. So there's a lot of it's the basics, but I think it does come back to that collaboration. So when I joined the industry, the IT departments were sometimes seen as a, a hurdle you needed to work around. Now they should be the first people we bring to the table because they are the absolute key. They understand networks better than all of us. And when we're designing the BEM system, they should be designing the IT system with us. And the two should go hand in hand and be not, not an afterthought either way. And where we see this done well, those systems are, you, know, you can never say nothing's unhackable, but they're, they're as close as you possibly could get.
So we've talked a lot around um, the perceived benefits and the very real, real benefits of collaborating and making sure that people are collaborating early on in the process and, and continue to do that through the contractual um, processes too. So how as a manufacturer are you sort of managing that collaboration? So I think our approach has always been to have plenty of feet on the street driving it. So to give you an example, if I look at some of our most successful projects, it's where we have our key account team and they'll have a relationship with key end users and now they're able to talk to them about what can be achieved in their building, can understand their needs and then tell them how how we bring the BEMS to help them achieve it. So having that, that kind of team that can work with those end users is valuable. Then we've got our business development team and they spend a lot of time in the consulting world. So they'll work with the M&E consultants and contractors and they'll, they'll collaborate with them quite often taking the conversations that the key account team will have had above them and saying, right, this is what we know the end user wants. How can we make this happen? Mm -hmm. And it's really is how can we make it happen because we can't do it on our own. It's, you know, we need the right plan, the right design, yeah. the right teams in the project. And so I think you've got to, if you want to collaborate properly, you have to accept that it can be um, an expensive process. You have to accept that you're going to employ people to do that. Um, and ideally, they need to be face-to-face. -face. Um, so we, yeah, I think we've got uh, over 30 people on the street every day in the UK out doing this exact exact thing. So collaborating with end users, collaborating with consultancies and contractors, and of course, working with our partners every day. Um, and that's, that's, that bit's really interesting because it's quite bi-directional there because we probably learn more from our partners about what can be achieved with our products than we do ourselves because... Our job at the end of the day is to create a product that our partners can do things with it that we haven't considered. And that's the beauty of the partner network. They're um, a network of 160 entrepreneurial innovators. And that's our strength. But if you talk at all levels about what you're trying to achieve and you have the right people and enough of them out there, that's how we believe we can change things for the better. And that's really, I guess, what our goal is. Good, like that. Yeah. Um, so this one's probably maybe more for my interest than, than, than anyone else's, but um, we're seeing a massive acceleration and rush of smart home technologies hitting the market now. Um, and, you know, products, forty nine ninety nine, you can buy yourself an Amazon Alexa and you can switch your lights on and off, turn your play music, do all sorts of very, very incredible, you know, things with, this, with these technologies. Obviously, your parent company, being Honeywell, plays... Um, you know, very heavily in the, in the residential sector in terms of security, uh, heating products and, and, and the likes. Do you see any potential um, risk to your business, um, given that we've got, you know, this, this, this uh, very rapid progression of products and technologies that are user installable, um, user configurable, um, and don't cost a lot of money, and yet the functionality is, is, is quite significant. How do you sort of see that? Um, playing into, into this sector? So I think, is there a risk? I think there's, there's always a risk and certainly some of the companies, including our parent company who are, who are driving that, they've got deep pockets and they, the investment in technology is fantastic. Um, I actually have seen it as a positive for our industry because I think if you look at the typical, for instance, user interface that's delivered as part of a project now, you can see it's clearly influenced by those more consumer-led products. 
So my, my view on life is anybody in a building should be able to go up to a display and interact with it and use it without a training course. Yeah. Ten years ago, that would be much more difficult than it is now because we're kind of, you know, the term I use is the iPhone generation. Nobody gets a manual for an iPhone. You just pick it up and you just somehow find your way around it without even realizing you're, you're competent at it. So I think the smart home piece is, is really good. I think when you look at the principles of some of that smart home technology, it's taking commercial BEMS control and putting it into people's houses. It's starting to link systems together. Um, so I guess the first time I really saw real value in it was when Nest had the smoke alarm and the thermostat and your smoke alarm goes off and it turns your boiler off. It's so simple, but that's um, real value to someone potentially, potentially life-saving value. Um, and then also when you look at the technology around um, geofencing, and I think this is something as a BEMS industry we haven't done a, a huge amount of, but actually sensing in, in the modern world where we, we're all very flexible with our time, instead of setting a time program on your thermostat and actually doing it based on where you are and starting to turn it on as you get closer to home so you, you know, it feels like your house is always the right temperature. I think extrapolating that up into the built commercial environment is really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, it's doable, but it's not always commercially viable at the moment. But I think that's a really, really interesting development. So I think whilst you know, potentially there is some risk, I actually think it creates more opportunity um, because I think the experience that people have in their homes now, they're going to want in their workplace. And I think that's still where companies like ours are really well suited because we've got the heritage and we really understand those buildings, but we've also got some cutting edge R&D technology, some that's available today, so IQ Vision changes, how we supervise our systems, how people interact it, any device, anytime, anywhere. Um, but also, there's a there's a lot of stuff that if I did tell you about, I'd I'd be in a lot of trouble. So I'm not I'm not allowed to reveal that just yet. But I think this is this is a this is an exciting time. I think that uh, I think what I, what's happening in people's homes is going to change expectations for what happens at work, mm -hmm. and I think that's a really really good thing. Yeah, no, I agree. So, what's your uh, last question for me, really? Um, what's your outlook on the current state of the market? So, I think the it's an exciting time to be in the BEMS industry. I think it's an uncertain time around Brexit. Um, I think the, the lack of political decision on that is making it difficult for end users to know how to invest. Um, but that will pass, that will sort itself out in, I'm sure, the next year or 18 months. But fundamentally, buildings are getting really exciting at the moment. I, I genuinely get, you can see I light up, I get so excited thinking about what can be achieved in a building now and how we're going to really make a huge difference in how people work mm -hmm. and we're going to make a huge difference in how productive businesses are and probably most importantly for me we're going to make a huge difference in people's well-being at work mm -hmm. we all spend a lot of time at work and I think the days have been sat in kind of cubicleized pods almost like a machine like a robot is stopping and we're really starting to think about how do we make people happy at work how do we make them active um, how do we create environments that encourage people mm -hmm. to collaborate within their own organisations? Yeah. Um, so we're seeing, you know, I like stories like where businesses are now putting less kitchens in their offices because then it forces more people to the same one and then you get that sparking of ideas while you're both making a cup of coffee. So I think these, these things are really interesting. 
And as the BEMS package that creates the, the environment for us in the BEMS industry, I think this is a fantastic time and we're going to be doing things with technology that 10 years ago seemed like Star Trek kind of stuff. And I'm really excited as where this, this will all go. And I'm really excited to see the smart building be defined and it become real in every building, not just a couple of um, kind of cutting edge buildings. And I, I think this is this is going to be the best era for not just BEMS but for construction. And we're going to see things in buildings that, that truly blow our mind, but they're also seamless. They're not forced. You just go into a building, you interact with it in a different way. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think this is a game-changing era, and everybody should be excited to be in our industry at the moment. So one of the goals uh, for the Disruptor um, series is to try to deliver um, nuggets of, of information that are educational, helpful, and can hopefully inspire and encourage people to start thinking differently about how they you know, create buildings and manage their buildings. Um, and one of the uh, platforms we use to get that message out there is social media, which we're all very familiar with you know, day to day. Um, what are your thoughts around how we can better use social media to, to influence and educate the industry? So I'm a huge supporter of it. Um, probably one of the driving forces in our business of educating how we can use it. I think we spoke about collaboration, we speak about education, and the power of social media is you educate and collaborate with people you don't even realise you're doing it with. So um, I think social media is a double-edged sword. If it's used properly and responsibly, it's fantastic. Um, I do see people use it and I, I don't particularly like how they use it. I think it can be quite negative. Mm -hmm. um, where I've, I just think it's a wonderful platform to talk about what you do well, to ask for help and advice, um, to share thoughts, um, personal views. Um, and I think I've seen uh, the, the amount of messages I've received from things I've posted from people I'd never heard of before who have either said, I agree with what you're saying, or can I have some, you know, you, you've hit on a problem I've got, can I have some help? So I think the tool is is absolutely huge. Um, and I think in our industry, we've been quite slow to adopt social media. I think we, we don't necessarily understand the reach. Certainly in a corporate environment, we're naturally nervous because not everybody maybe understands the consequences of what one bad, you know, if you ask Gerald Ratner, he made one bad comment one day and it, it sunk his business. But I think what we're realizing is actually letting employees have their views about your business and what you do is actually really good because you know the adage I always say is people buy from people and so I'm not the biggest fan if I'm honest on of corporate social media posts what I'm a big fan of is where I see people's opinions because I see you know particularly on LinkedIn for me it's like a mini trip advisor I want to hear where people are having good experiences and then I want part of it so I try and use it to share what we do well in our business Particularly, I like to talk about the buildings we're in because I think that's more real than, than talking about what we do in this office. And I think used properly, it, it's, it can be game-changing for your organisation because you reach thousands of people that you'd have no other way of getting hold of. And if you're saying the right things, they'll come and want to work with you. And then that, that's where you do build, you, know, you can build your business around it for effectively a next-to-nothing marketing budget. It's fantastic. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Gemco Intelligent Buildings Group. You can find more information about us on our website at gemcoibg.com or all social media platforms.